2: detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home.
0: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and t-shirts to those facing homelessness.
1: You are listening to
0: Inside F1
1: with Joe Sayward on Missed Apex Podcast. We give F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, an independent Formula One podcast brought to you by MystapexPodcast.com. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. This show is safe for work. We're keeping it clean here, so you can play this with kids in the background or at work. I'm your host, Richard Spanners-Ready. We've got an exciting week of podcasting to come. On Thursday night, Matt and I join our friends over at sportsbookreview.com where we look at some of the best bets for the Hungarian Grand Prix in a 20-minute preview show where Matt basically just gushes over Ocon. You don't have to listen to him. You can listen to me. Then, of course, join us on Sunday night on the live stream for the race review show that we do on the night of the race. Search Missed Apex Podcast on YouTube and subscribe there. Click the little bell and you will get a notification every time we go live. And then, rumour has it that we may be joined at some point by Justin Robert Young of Diamond Club and Night Attack fame to talk about sports broadcasting in the internet age. No promises, but we have been talking. But tonight, I'm joined in the shed again by Paddock regular, Joe Saywood. Thanks for joining us again, Joe. Hello. Nice to see you again.
2: And by the way, I'm happy to gush about Esteban Ocon as well.
1: We'll definitely get to that, Joe. Thanks for joining us, even though you are poorly, even though you've recovered from looking after a two-year-old.
2: Yeah it's uh, it's uh, the, the last few weeks have been a bit dramatic with uh I can't even remember how many races four races in three weekends and then I instead of having some sort of time off to recover I I got my granddaughter and uh, spent a week with her which is very tiring and uh, and I also got sick um which is one of the fun parts of the job but I'll be off to Budapest Uh, in a couple of days' time, and uh, all will be well, I'm sure. If I break down coughing in the middle of the podcast, please excuse me. We um, will. Just tough. You can hear the the, the wrenching and grunting of a a poor old Formula 1 hack.
1: I'm sure you love your granddaughter, but two-year-olds are terrible. They only get good after about five or six. Oh, I
2: don't know about that. We'll have to wait and see. I can't remember that far back. I did have a son at some point who was that age, but I can't remember.
1: (laughs) Thinking back just a little bit, Joe, we haven't spoken to you since London Live. What was it like to be there on the ground?
2: uh It was very busy um, it was It was certainly an experience it was uh, I wouldn't say it was um, disorganized, but it was it was a little bit um ad hoc ad, ad hoc. Exactly. That's a very good expression. Um, and for the for the sort of uh, brigands of the Formula One world, um, we were going around sort of just um, breaking in wherever we could find a way in and, and uh, baffling poor gate people who didn't know which passes were which and turning passes upside down to get where we wanted to go and this sort of stuff, you know. It was all quite fun. But um, the actual event itself, to be honest, I didn't see very much because I was in the sort of paddock area. Um, and you really couldn't see very much, but oh, that's okay. The actual tra- Trafalgar square stuff was very good. Um, lots of people, uh, lots of people were there from formula one too, uh, with one notable exception. Um, but, uh, what was really interesting is that I broke into the VIP hospitality at one point Gasp. and, and there were 19 race promoters in there. Um, and it was like sort of, Oh my God, there's another one. Uh, what was really interesting is I checked the number. Um, but I also noticed the ones who were missing. And if you add them all up, there were more promoters than there are races. So I guess there must have been some others there for races
1: we don't know about. You didn't happen to catch their nationalities or what accents? They well, were I think one there. of them
2: was probably London, I would guess. But uh, uh, the the ones missing were China, Australia and Singapore. There were three missing, 19 promoters. That means 22. I'm not very really good at mathematics, but
1: um, I think I'm, we can work that one out, can't we? So the two interesting things there is A, obviously Lewis Hamilton, everybody complained about him. I wish he was there as a Lewis Hamilton fan. But the feeling I got was that I didn't realise what a big deal it was going to be until people started tweeting about it. And I went, oh, this is a huge event.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the problem is that, I mean, I've called it the secret promotional event, which we were actually we were calling that for about a month beforehand um, because a lot of people in Formula One knew it was going to happen. But we were all sworn to secrecy because of potential uh, terrorist activities. And the danger was that if it came out and was public information, it would get cancelled and nobody really wanted that to happen. Yeah. So it was actually pretty well kept secret. I think one or two of the red top newspapers had a go at it when they shouldn't have done. But um gosh, nobody ever claimed they were
1: responsible human beings, did we? And so does this mean that London is a fitting venue for a race circuit? I think everyone thinks they want it.
2: No, I don't think you'll I don't think you can have Formula One cars running around the West End. I think that's rather a silly idea. Um because first of all the disruption would be phenomenal. Second of all, there's nowhere to put spectators. Um, you know, it's all very well, you know, you can't build a grandstand on a pavement that's ten feet wide. You've got to have gotta have good fifty fifty feet wide pavements and my experience in London is there aren't any of those things. So you couldn't get a big crowd in London, therefore it couldn't really pay off. Um, unless the city was paying for it. And it doesn't make a lot of sense. You can do it in some of the other venues in the Docklands. um, And in Stratford, of course, you've got this blooming great stadium, the Olympic Stadium. I think it might even be called the Queen Elizabeth Stadium. But, you know, if they were going to do it, they'd probably run the track in and out of the stadium. They seem to have the hots for that idea since Mexico began. Um, I don't really get it myself because if I was a spectator, Um, getting about eight seconds of formula one cars coming in and out i'm not sure that would be awfully exciting but having said that i guess a lot of racetracks if you go to silverstone do you get more than eight seconds of
1: car anywhere no that's true and hello to the chat room Nice of you to join us. Uh, Nick in the chat room says, he was in the country and it wasn't enough notice. And Christopher's saying, I hated the late notice. I was out of the country for work and would definitely have pretended to break a bone to attend. Well, obviously, we can't sanction that. But yeah, I think the reasons you, you gave are sensible, especially in this climate. I do
2: think, I do think that, that fans have to understand that it wasn't perfect um, but you can't, when you have people willing to drive trucks into crowds of people, yes, you've no, got to, you've yeah. got to do, you've got to be sensible about it. And, you know, basically it wouldn't have happened at all if we told anybody in advance. So, you know, it, it's perfectly logical, uh, sad though it may be. Um, and we, we just couldn't do anything else. I mean, the most I could do was hint them. I, I usually have an audience with Joe event and I called it off for reasons that I couldn't
1: tell people about. Um, and you know, that's the best I could do. I'm afraid. If you did try subtly hinting at me, subtlety doesn't work. You have to bash me over the head with it. Remember, I only recently got Joe Bloggs F1 that was a funny pun. Good. Well, I'm, uh, never mind. <laughs> Mike Doyle is asking in the chat room, do you think Circuit of the Americas will do an America Live? Certainly talk of this becoming something more prevalent during the F1 season.
2: I think there will be seven or eight of them next year um, mm. in different cities. As to which ones, I don't know. But I do know that there was a... Um, a beauty parade going on after the British Grand Prix of companies wanting to uh, take on the promotion of all of them. It was it wouldn't be individual promoters in different countries. That's good. It would be one doing all of it. So basically, um, one of the companies, I think, was David Coulthard's company, who organised the London one.
1: See, David Coulthard, he strikes me as someone who is stealthily becoming very powerful, because isn't he behind the Channel 4 broadcasts as well in some way?
2: Well, he is for the next year and a half oh. when they're finished, they're not, but he does have a company called Whisper films which do all kinds of other things. He's a very busy boy, he's an ambassador for Red Bull he's an ambassador for Heineken um he's very busy, he's very rich and um and he works very hard, bless him, and he does a terrific job, let's be fair he's great, but um you know he 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 sees an opportunity and grabs them you know uh
1: the chat room's also asking, uh look, should we plan on being the Grand Prix at Wednesdays from now on? because people plan to travel in advance and can we get a, a nod and a wink when we think that we should arrive early uh i
2: to be honest i'm not sure i'll even know when they're all <laughs> happening but um because the other thing is that they've got to work out a deal with the teams because fundamentally although the drivers nearly all showed up um in london they can't do it every single event so um they have to figure out a way they probably can do it every single event um but they'd have to write something into the into the super licence regulations or something like that to make them do it. Now, um, there is an argument that some people think that teams should be paid uh to turn up to do extra
1: events and, and drivers should get money and
2: there's all these silly things that have to be organized, but I just think, you
1: know, anything that promotes the sport's a good idea. So Yeah, like a rising tide raises all ships. And it's not it's not as if they're underpaid. They get a few, Bob. They get a few, Bob, don't they? Um, but you just hinted there that Channel 4 are only going to have the races for the next year and a half. I'm so- not
2: hinting. It's a, it's a known fact. Sky oh. has it Um, Sky has it on completely exclusivity from, I think it's 19 onwards.
1: See, that troubles me because, you know, when I was a kid, we couldn't always afford the top packages or even Skype or Satellite TV. And had it been so it like that… It troubles
2: everybody. But yeah. unfortunately, it was a Bernie Eccleston deal that's left over. Uh-huh. So they have to honour it. Um, because sky don't want to change it obviously so they have to honor it and go through the process and it will be damaging for formula one in britain there's no question about it and um, you know they, they went to 100 percent pay tv in france and completely wiped out the formula one audience so you know they're going back now in in lots of markets they're going back away from pay television but they have to they have to honor the agreements
1: in place i just think like i used to watch a lot of boxing with my dad as a kid and then suddenly it all went pay-per-view and we just never watched any boxing again so it's pretty heartbreaking to think you know there's going to be kids coming through in 20 years who just never got the opportunity to fall in love with formula one due to the cost of even watching it on telly
2: that's true but having said that i think if you go back to i I think sky will probably be pressured into um putting some of it on claire um so that there will be at least a taster because how else are they going to increase their audiences you know, they, they need to they need to show people why it's worth paying the money so that there is an element of which they need to give some of it for free.
1: Yeah. And obviously, there's some people come into these things with short term thinking. They want to make that quick profit at, 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 in their stint as the CEO before they move on. But I'd quickly like to talk about, you know, Chase Carey, because rumor has it you and him are quite pally and he's bright and bubbly. Uh, to the camera, but if Lego Movie has taught me anything, he's dark and sinister in the background. Uh, do you think he's in F1 for the right reasons, or is he is he going to milk the cow? Yeah,
2: I don't think he's dark and sinister. I think he's he's um he's reserved. I think he's a very clever man. Uh, I think he's he's reserved. He doesn't he if he doesn't want to give an answer, he's not going to give an answer. Uh, he's a very he, he's he's clearly a man with a good intellect. He's he's clearly a man who knows the movers and shakers. You know you don't work for John Malone and Rupert Murdoch uh, and switch around between them without being pretty smart. So, you know, I think he's he's a, he's a good thinker uh, and he has some very good people around him. Um, he's not the sort of person who, who gives secrets away. He said, I, I asked him, I was pushing him the other day about the American expansion of Formula One. I was saying, well, come on, you know, what's the first target? It's got to be New York. And he said, I'm not even going to tell you. Because Formula One has, for so long has been people saying what's going to happen before it happens and then trying to do the deals. And he said in normal business, you do the deals and then you tell people what's happening. Which I fully understand. It it, it makes sense. So it's annoying for me perhaps because my job is to find out what's happening. But at the same time, I respect people who do that. And and I think he's doing a a relatively sensible job. It's it's sometimes good to brief people so they have an idea where things are going and things don't come as a complete surprise. But I think he's just finding his feet and feeling his way. And in Formula One, in the media, you have to sort of work out who to trust because if you tell the wrong thing to the wrong people, um, it can become a big mess. So and that takes a little time. He's only been around, remember, for about a year. So he didn't appear first, I think. If I remember correctly, his first appearance in Formula One was in Singapore last year. So he hasn't even been around for a year yet. Uh, and you can't really
1: build strong relationships within a year. Um, it takes a bit more time than that. So it's hard for us as fans at the moment to pick apart things that Bernie Ecclestone did and things that are being done by Liberty Media. Um, Currently what's been in the news is that they offered shares in Formula One and I'm hearing that no one took any. So was that them and why did no one take any? Nobody took them because they felt that why would you buy something
2: that you make? You know, they are the stars of the show. Why would they buy into the show? They are the show. Uh, And I felt, you know, I think... The the, the the feeling among the teams is if, if we're going to have a share in the business, we shouldn't have to buy it. We should be given it. Yeah. Um, so that's another argument. And obviously, you know, uh, Liberty Media was, was trying to do it that way and it didn't work out. It was a very nice discount they gave. But the teams, you know, the big teams didn't want it. The little teams couldn't afford it. So, you know, it's as simple as that, really. there's no, um,
1: There's nothing more to it than that. Well I just wondered you know were they being offered a good deal on the shares though and I just oh, oh very, very good yeah. deal. It was like sort of a forty percent discount, oh wow, hm yeah, it was so, a lot, so it almost feels like there's you know a political and sort of moral rather than a business decision for why to not buy them.
2: I think they were just trying to see if anyone would bite, and um you know it, it's very often people try things and they don't succeed uh. Um, I noticed that ever since they've arrived, uh, everything with Formula One and it's got a big um, registered trademark sign next to it. And the last time I looked at any of this, there were no registered trademarks. So, you know, the TM that everyone used to have in the age of Bernie meant trademark applied for. And lots of people thought that meant they were trademarked. They weren't. Now, what they trademarked with the Flying F logo, that was trademarked and they're allowed to do that. But they're not allowed to. Necessarily put a, a TM against everything, and certainly putting an R next to Grand Prix doesn't work for me, and putting a, a, an R next to Formula One doesn't work for me either. So, I think they're just trying things on, and eventually someone will tell him you can't do that, and
1: uh, we'll see. Uh, but overall, do you think he's got good intentions? Do, do you feel like you know he's got? Yes,
2: I do. I think he's got he's got big plans and good intentions. His his intention is to make something better than what they have now, and. I can see, and I've been saying for years, Formula One was underperforming in in economic terms. And so, you know, what they're doing is they're starting down the path of making it perform properly. And in what you would call in a normal sort of entertainment fashion.
1: Let me clarify something that I read from one of the commenters on your blog, Joe, because people were saying that the FIA own Formula 1 and I think you were correcting them and saying no, Liberty own it. Could you just clarify that for some of the dumber people? Obviously I know.
2: What is the definition of an owner? You know, if you if you have the freehold of something, you are the owner. If you have a leasehold, are you the owner? Yes, you are as long as that lease lasts. So, what's happened is that Liberty Media through the companies that originally did the deal leased the rights to Formula 1 until December twenty one ten. So in effect, they own it for uh, another 93 years. Um, The FIA theoretically own it and will get it back in 93 years' time if the FIA and indeed Formula One is still in existence at that point. But fundamentally, um, the ownership is in the hands of
1: liberty and theoretically it's the hands of the FIA. Cool. Thanks for clearing that up for us, Joe. Can we go to some racing stuff? Cause Silverstone, uh, <laughs> it was just brilliant, wasn't it? It was classic. And for Lewis Hamilton fans and lifelong fans of racing and British racing, you know, like me, 36 year old, having struggled through, you know, the dead years and the Schumacher years and the Vettel years to see a British champion stamping his mark on Silverstone, a fifth win. It was just incredible, you know, for the home fans and just the atmosphere was buzzing. Yeah, it was it was it was great. Uh I thought it was a
2: little bit less than sporting the cheers when Vettel's tired <laughs> again, but there you are. Um Vettel has got a few people he's annoyed in Britain um over the years. So uh you know, Silverstone is a is a is a funny place. Um there is this great passion there and, and there is this fantastic sense of speed you get at Silverstone and particularly this year with the new cars going down there through the Beckett's complex and all the rest of it um it was just fantastically spectacular um and that was really great uh the weather was pretty awful yep um and well which is normal for silverstone to be quite honest it's an airfield and uh you know it is it's sort of it, it's it's sort of halfway house at the moment because when they built the the dreaded wing it was supposed to be uh, built in in league with a big grandstand opposite and all kinds of other things behind they didn't have the money to do all the other work so you have the wing and then opposite the wing you have a fairly small grandstand so that that sense of sort of arena and stadium that you got used to get at Woodcote um where you have big grandstands yeah. and and you know there's a lot of them um is lost and therefore and it kind of ruins it down at the bottom end of the circuit, it doesn't help that the media centre—it's—it's a, it's a bizarre story. The media centre has no windows, um, <laughs> and it was designed uh, to eventually open up. Uh, there are commentary boxes on the on the track side where the media centre is, and eventually the, the the commentary boxes would move into the grandstand that hasn't been built yet opposite, and the media centre would open up so we could actually see the racetrack. But at the moment, all we can see is the helicopter landing area, which. It's quite quiet these days because helicopters don't go there much anymore, uh, and a bit of the paddock. So, um, and, and there's only that's only if you look through the doors, you know. So it, it, it's a bit it's a bit of an odd place for us, um, and that sort of a little bit ruins the 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 feeling of the atmosphere. But if you go out on the grid before the race begins, it, it it's, it's lovely.
1: I uh, so obviously you've never been in the grandstands or the general admission trying to watch the race.
2: Oh yes, I have. That's oh. where I started out. You oh, know, of I'm, I am. Oh, you um, weren't born
1: well, in 1988, were you?
2: <laughs> I was. I would let me tell you. I was on the. Uh, I was on a muddy mound at at, uh, at Becketts in 1979, watching Clay Regazzoni win Williams's first Grand Prix win, and we had to stand on that horrible bit of mud for hours on end to make sure nobody else got it, and we had to sit in queues for hours, and it's all that sort of stuff. And um, but it, it was all part of the experience and part of what made. Formula One a passion for me you know it, I, I've done the spectator thing Yeah. Uh, and I marvel at the, at the loyalty of British spectators uh, it may have got a little bit easier I mean I used to have to walk in for miles sometimes but
1: I don't know. I mean, I found it very hard to get to. And uh, I was in the village complex. I thought I had a good spot. I was stood up. I was quite happy to stand for two hours. And then uh, as they started parading past on the shakedown laps, people suddenly went, Oh, here we go. And they stood, uh, sorry, they sat on the barrier that I was leaning against. So there was just a wall of backs in front of me. And I couldn't find anywhere in village complex from general admission to see anything. So last minute, I had to just go and drop 90 quid. On a on a grandstand uh, ticket. And that was the only way I could see it. So I don't know. I think a lot of people complain now about the general admission areas in um, at Silverstone. And it feels like, you know, nothing a bit of banking couldn't solve. It can't be that much just to slope it a bit.
2: Well, I think a lot of it is slow, but I—I I mean, to be quite honest, I haven't spent a huge amount of time in the public areas in recent years, mm. uh, simply because you're a uh, VIP. We're down. Da- da- well, we're down at the other end of the circuit in the wing, first of all. Yeah. Uh, well, we, we do. We do ride on the double-decker buses. The press car park is still at the top end, uh, and uh, so we get to ride buses down and uh but but you know you don't spend any time at the top end and you certainly don't you know you're on the outside of the circuit looking at the the size of the spectator earth banks
1: okay shut up chat room ferglin says that's what you get if you're just one span as high i am not a unit of measure cut this out right now uh a lot of people complain though that there's a lot of room between the track and the grandstands even on the straights i mean when they were interviewing lewis hamilton after qualifying he basically had to do a a sprint at three-quarter pace to get out to the crowd away from where they were interviewing him
2: well yes but then again there's a reason for that because if bits start flying off cars when they crash you don't want them landing in grandstand so that's just unfortunately uh, one of the things that safety and the desire for more safety has done to formula one is that a good thing or a bad thing that's a matter of opinion, but I don't think it's good for any spectator to be killed by flying wreckage.
1: No true, but is Silverstone not particularly extreme no, in that regard not no at all. Oh, okay, it's the same as pretty
2: much everywhere else, safety wise and some are worse.
1: Fair enough. Into a bit of racing, though, we saw a real step change in the championship, not just by the result at the end when the tyres blew out and the crowd booed him. By the way, in 2013, when his engine conked out on the pit straight, I was there and exactly the same thing happened. I do suspect the British crowd just like a little bit of pantomime uh, as well. Uh, But the championship changed because the pace of the cars has changed. And is it the feeling you get within the paddock that we get, which is that Mercedes have really got on top, of their issues and they're now unlocking the potential they've always had throughout the season.
2: Well, I think that's part of it, but I think there may also be a part of it where Ferrari isn't allowed to burn oil anymore, but that would be <laughs> churlish of me to suggest that. So,
1: There, there, there was a, an article. <laughs> uh, go on. No, carry on. <laughs> uh, they, they, they were stopped from doing that
2: in Azerbaijan, since Azerbaijan. Uh, it was ruled that burning oil as fuel was not acceptable and uh, so, I think that's taken a little bit of the edge off their performance.
1: But also, did Mercedes not suffer a similar thing at the beginning of the season when their suspension was deemed to be an aerodynamic assistant?
2: Um, I don't know we, if we saw enough of that to make it much of a difference, to be honest. Okay. But I think that these are these are sort of when you're when you're um, pushing into what Tom Walkinshaw used to call the grey areas of the sport, um, where things need to be reinterpreted. Um, or just interpreted, even uh, you you do get things like this. They're not exactly illegal, but they're not exactly legal either. So you have to you have to decide if they're right or wrong. Um, because if somebody's not written about, it because it's not known, how can you have a rule against it?
1: It, do you get the feeling though that, like in Italian football, Italian footballers feel that tricking the referee to get a penalty is part of the skill of the game? Do you get this feeling that the inside oh, pushing the play- into pushing into the gray
2: areas is yeah. very much the skill of the game absolutely um, whether or not it's always you know, i mean there's a difference between pushing into gray areas and, and cheating. downright cheating there's no question about it, you know uh one can one can just set out to cheat and it it's easy until you get
1: caught but um <clears throat> so red red bull putting a hinge in their front wing probably out and out cheating
2: uh that would be arguable yes um but there are you know there are lots of of it, it, it's a bit like flexi wings i mean if they pass the tests are they illegal? well yes they are because they're obviously doing what they're not supposed to do but when you test them They are legal. So it's an interesting argument.
1: Okay, chat room, I'm not wearing makeup yet. I will do it because of the shiny forehead comments, but I haven't had time today. I'm just back from work. But the favourite example I liked, I think it was when Magnussen ended up on the podium, so it can't have been too long ago in Australia. Red Bull, with the fuel flow, had a flexible bit of pipe after the fuel flow limit so that they could you know, build up fuel for when they really needed it. That's almost ingenious. You almost want to reward that.
2: Well, I'm, all these things are ingenious. You know, this is this is part of the game. There are, there are thousands of people working to find ways around the regulations and and, and the gray areas. So they are to be expected. <clears throat> and that's one of the things that um, Ross Braun and the Formula One group are now doing. They're putting in some clever engineers to help the FIA control the teams, you know, experienced people who know um, how things are done if you like, their poachers turn gamekeepers
1: Yeah, because people do complain, though. They say, because the engineers have got all this freedom, it can cause disparity in the teams and it doesn't encourage close racing. Uh, but what people don't realise, what they're asking for, really is a spec series or a move towards a spec series. But personally, I feel that Formula 1 is as much an engineering sport as it is a driver's race. I mean, would you agree with that, or you want to see it drawn back a bit? No, so that's that
2: we- a very, very long argument, <laughs> but... Uh, A spec series is a spec series is a spec series. Formula One is different. And that's what makes Formula One special. So um, if everyone wanted to watch a spec series, they'd all watch a spec series, but they don't.
1: Yeah, but... So why is that? Yeah, it's just a shame, though. I think it's people's expectations because a lot of people just turn on on a Sunday. They see the drivers. They see the drivers getting into the car. I'd like to see, you know, the engineers coming more to the forefront. But unfortunately, a lot of what they're doing is secret so it's it's hard to see how that engineering challenge quite breaks out. I don't know if the teams well, can do. It. More.
2: You see it in the results on the track. I mean, the drivers are are very good at getting the maximum out of cars, and they're consistent. And so, yeah. well, if you see that on you know a lot of tracks, you'll find the teams line up in in pretty much in team order, um, in the order of performance. But you know, with two cars, unless one of them's done particularly badly, uh, you generally find them two by two by two. Uh, some in more tracks. some sorry. Sometimes it's more on one
1: track than another, but it's not unusual to see two by two. Cool. Well, will you get yourself a glass of water there, Joe, or, uh, or settle your your throat? Uh, let me just talk to the listeners for a minute and just ask them not to forget to subscribe to this show on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're struggling, you can always tweet me at Missed Apex F1. I'll help you out. I've got the time, and you can look at the pin tweet on the Missed Apex Podcast account as well, and that should give you enough instructions and links to get there. Otherwise, you're just relying on me remembering to put the post up, and that's never good. Also, Missed Apex Podcast is up for an award at the Podcast Awards. It's American, so you know it's good. Our target at the moment is to make it into the top 10 slate, and we can only do that with you. So... Please, please, why not go to podcastawards.com, register your email address there, go to the Sports path category and pick out Missed Apex Podcast. If we can get in that top 10 slate, I would be a very, very happy man. Each person can only vote once. So once you've voted per email, I won't bug you again. I promise.
0: Ready to pop the question? For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at Sleep Number Stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: So let's talk about a bit about engine supplies, Joe, because we've got two big moves at the moment, which is that McLaren are complaining that they can't find an engine and Sauber aren't sure they want the one they seem to have secured. So that firstly, McLaren, because Zach Brown is saying, hey, the other teams don't want to play fair. They're scared of us.
2: You know, I heard that before. Red Bull said that a couple of years ago. It's a tricky one. I think one, you'll though. find probably that what Zach Brown is saying is that Mercedes-Benz don't want to give them the weapons to beat Mercedes-Benz, which is entirely logical. And there are rules that restrict the number of supplies. Um, you have to have certain agreements. But again, all these are... A secret so we don't really know um certainly the the engine of choice for mclaren would be mercedes um it is probably going to be renault honda are still saying they're going to have honda um and it's all a bit uncertain at the moment which is a bit odd considering we're in july and they have to start building cars for next year um now sauber is a completely different case you give the impression that Sauber um, don't necessarily want Honda. It might be the other way around. You never know because a change of management at at Sauber might have said, you know, might have convinced Honda that, oh well, actually, no, we don't want to do that. I mean, uh, we don't know, but you know there is an assumption that, that Sauber say they don't want Honda, but it could be the other way around. Now, the other question is, um, Where do people go? Where do Honda go? If McLaren says Honda go away and Salva says, or Honda says, we don't want to know, where are Honda going to go? They're not going to leave. Um, And so I think that they're doing, there's certainly a lot of talk going on around Turo Rossa. And that makes a lot of sense because Turo Rossa can go through the pain with Honda, which McLaren has been doing. And they
1: will be. And if the engine gets good, Red Bull can have it so they can just use Toro Rosso as an out-and-out guinea pig.
2: Absolutely. But having said that, in the history of the sport, that wouldn't be unusual. If you go back to the 1980s, um, you may remember there was an organization called Spirit Racing that came in with Honda originally, and then Williams grabbed the engines as soon as they were sort of half-decent. Williams still went through a lot of pain before they were winning, but Spirit Racing actually bought them in. So, you know, these things do happen. Like the only thing with the Honda thing
1: is that it's been taking an awfully long time to get going. And Brett Cook in the chat room says, I didn't realize the Sauber Honda deal wasn't a done deal. And actually, I didn't until the beginning of this no, week. No, It yeah. is a done deal. Oh, this is confusing.
2: <clears throat> but, but done deals can be unstitched. A Honda, Honda motor company does not announce engine deals without a deal being done. So, you know, this was announced. Uh, I think if I remember correctly, it was announced. Just after the Russian Grand Prix. So um,
1: there is an engine deal there and uh, we have to see what happens. Uh, Luminosity in the chat room saying, oh man, Sauber might make Honda look even worse. I didn't consider that. Well, I guess if Sauber were the only Honda team, you'd have to guess that their performance would be down on where the McLaren Honda is right now.
2: No, but having said that, what are they going to lose?
1: Well yeah
2: sauber at the back if you have a third supply of ferraris you might as well have a rubber band in the back to be honest and an expensive rubber band at that and so if you've got absolutely no chance of any success with a with a second third string ferrari you might as well
1: go to a first string honda um because it could come good one day patron chris is asking joe When do you think we'll see a new engine supplier coming into the sport? And obviously I saw that you'd blogged recently about how we could get more engine suppliers or at least that you thought it would be desirable to have more.
2: Well, I think it would be desirable to have more, but nothing's going to happen before 2021. It just makes no sense. The only possibility before 2021, and I don't think it'll happen, is if somebody were to badge an existing engine. So for example, if if, uh, Alfa Romeo wanted to come in um, they could take a Ferrari and call it an Alfa Romeo. But I don't see that happening myself because I think they'd want to do it themselves a little bit.
1: So do you think that Sauber do have a bit of a long term because Ray's suggesting that this might be them in the midst of their death moan?
2: I don't know. They have a, they have a secret owner who has lots of money but doesn't appear to want to spend much of it. And um, we'll have to see how they do. I mean, I have been fairly blunt on the subject of sauber uh it's a swiss german team with a very very um unusual way of doing business and you can't just parachute people in there and expect the team to work how they want it to work it just doesn't work like that
1: so are you like jack villeneuve and the williams motorhome are you now banned from the sauber motorhome or i haven't gone in there of late um but i I I'm I'm have lots
2: of friends at Sauber. I've known people at Sauber for 30 years. Some of them, you know, before before Sauber was even in Formula 1, I was I was writing about sports cars. I I met some of the Sauber people at Le Mans um and in various other races around the world. So, you know, these things I have if you have a fight with a a team owner or a team principal, disagreement, yes. Which does happen because they don't like what you write. Oh, yeah. um, then it's a matter of uh, whether you feel comfortable going into the motorhome. Um, as far as I'm concerned, if the owner's not there, I don't really care, um, and I'll go and visit maybe. Um, so anyway, there, right, just... there are other places. I was in. I was in the Force India motorhome. Uh, the other at Silverstone, which is very unusual for me because Vijay Malliard is not a huge fan of mine and I'm not an enormous fan of his. But um I was in there meeting somebody and and having a chat and seeing Esteban of course, the legendary Esteban. Mm. Um and uh, I, I did receive a sort of vague frown from the team owner. So, um, you know, he, he's not used to seeing me there either. So, yeah, you know, these things happen and, and one just gets on with it and gets by, you know.
1: Well, that was going to be one of my questions because uh, when you do displease a team boss, you know, what happens? Do they just do they ring you up and just go, hey, Joe, what the Jaffa cakes, man? Or you know, Well, it-
2: the, 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 man, the man who owns uh, Sauber accosted me in the paddock oh
1: right he actually grabbed you
2: and uh, and and got a talking to um which he didn't expect I, he's not i don't think he's used to being uh to people stand up to him mild mannered M- multi-billionaires multi-billionaires generally don't like being told they're wrong um particularly by nasty journalists who don't know anything about anything so um he was Quite taken aback, I think, that I re- responded as I did and just sort of said, "Well, if you want to lose a load of money, go on doing what you're doing." Um, Ooh, Sultan. He, you know, the, the, uh, people, the, people like this live in strange worlds. You know, they they're surrounded by yes men who say, "Yes, sir, yes, sir," whenever they say anything, and nobody ever says, "You're an idiot" to them. No. Um, and I didn't actually say that in this particular case, but I certainly raised a number of questions. But they're not used to hearing it, so. They do get to live in rather strange worlds sometimes, and sometimes it doesn't good to be told. No, Uh, they may say I'm an idiot, and and fair enough, but, you know, I have been around a while, know a couple of things about Formula One.
1: Thing is, though, you're not going to go away, are you? So is there ever, do you get that feeling like they want to tell you that you're wrong, but they don't want to, you know, annoy you too much because you're going to get back with your quill and inkwell and write about them again?
2: Uh, Well, they want me to write about them. Um... And, you know, if I'm being fair, I, I do write nice things about them if they do well. And if and you'll notice that I write pretty good things about Force India at the moment because they're doing very well. Now, that's not necessarily a reflection on VJ Malia's economic problems in India or his or his uh, justice problems in London, uh, which one has to report about because it threatens the existence of the team, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, you can't knock the fact that what they're doing, they're doing a terrific job. So I just try to be fair. Um, And I try not to involve stuff that doesn't inflect, uh, isn't important on the racetrack. You know, if if somebody's, if a driver is having a marriage breakup, for example, um, I don't report it unless suddenly, you know, he's five places further back on the grid than he should be. And you have to try and explain why that is. And if that's the only possible explanation, you might mention it. But generally speaking, private lives are left
1: out. So. Uh, Chatroom's asking, sorry, there's a lot of chatroom questions, Joe. You're a very popular man, but they want to know if you've ever been tempted to join a team, perhaps in an advisor role. Is anything like that ever cropped up? It would be indiscreet of me to say, but
2: um, yes, there have been a couple of occasions when there have been discussions um, about me doing things in teams. Um, None of them have ever worked, Uh, never worked out for various different reasons, but... um, I was as some people may know I was I was uh, on the border of Caterham cars at one point um which was not related to formula 1 because Caterham formula 1 and Caterham cars were completely different companies And I was dealing with these rather strange old developed vaguely developed version of the Lotus 7 um and trying to make it into a proper car company um which we successfully failed at so um and uh after a while um That was the end of that, and Catrum disappeared from that world, and I was no longer required. But it was, you know, uh, the reason I was there, I think, is because in that case as well, uh, Tony Fernandez, the boss of Catrum, again, a very wealthy man, didn't have a lot of people around him telling him, you know, when he was being an idiot. And I I just did what I always do, which is saying, Well, don't think you're right here. And And I, I think he appreciated that. And I think that's why he wanted to have an independent voice or two independent voices, not not just me, but another, my, my colleague, David Tremaine as well. We were both on the board and we were there. Basically, we were non-executive
1: directors. And we were there to sort of say, hang on a minute, boys, this is silly. So you were um, Nicky Lauda, but for Caterham. Sorry, saying yeah. you were like Nicky Lauda, but for Caterham.
2: Well, cars. Yeah. Not the racing team, the racing team. Um,
1: was a law unto itself. I want to be. I want to be surrounded by yes men who are too afraid to tell me off, Joe. That's the only ambition I have in life. Well, don't worry.
2: I will tell you off if you are,
1: <laughs> Joe. Uh, we mentioned Esteban Ocon, and I, I can see you have a great admiration for him. I want to get a bit of uh, a bit of your inside knowledge on the driver transfer market because uh, what we've heard really is that perhaps Perez is rattled by Ocon, and uh, I can't remember who I heard it from today. He said that uh Force India are genuinely surprised with how good Ocon has been in his first year.
2: I don't think they're surprised. I think they thought he was going to be this good, which is why they hired him. Um I think that Renault, who had him, realized that they made a shocking mistake trying to get him back. Uh, they can't get him back because Force India won't give him back and so I think their view is if we can't get Ocon, we'll get Perez because he's nearly as good as Ocon. Now, people will tell you that Perez is outqualified qualified Ocon, but if you look at the trend, Ocon has been gradually closing in, closing in. Um, he's only just started to do things on the tracks he knows. So Silverstone, I think, was the first track he's actually raced at before. Uh, in Canada, they had that situation where Perez refused to let him pass when he was faster, which annoyed Ocon. But he's a very likable fellow, and just, he just sort of said, "Okay, I understand the rules now." And that's what we saw in, as a result of that, in Azerbaijan, the two of them collided, and that was a um, a clear indication of of Ocon saying, "Right, well, if we're playing it by your rules, these are the rules as they are." It was a rough move. It was. It wasn't a rough move. It was a. It was an almost brilliant move that didn't quite work, and that was a, the move of a young driver who was who was pushing hard now in Silverstone. He blitzed Perez and Perez couldn't catch him.
1: Ferglin saying... <coughs> That's all right. Just let me note that one down, Joe. Live stream, you get to enjoy it in all its glory and all the people watching it back on YouTube. It's Just the special, special podcast listeners that don't have to listen to it. Ferglin says, I think the future of F1 is Max versus Ocon and Leclerc. Uh, we've, we've got a nice batch of, of drivers coming through, haven't we, Joe? And in fact... Would you say that this field is as talented as, as what you've seen? I think we might have talked about this before, you know, since, you know, the late 80s.
2: I think that it's a very talented bunch of people. I'd say there's only a couple who shouldn't really be there. Just wait um, till
1: after Hungary, be one less.
2: And uh, I, I think in Formula 2 we have some remarkable, uh, there's three particular guys I've noticed this year. Uh, Formula 2 is a, is a complicated championship because they have to learn about tyres. And if you look at the records, you'll find that it's almost never won by a new boy. And um, that's because they have to learn how to use the tires. Now, Leclerc has arrived and he has done a remarkable job to win five races. And you have to say that there's probably something in the car because Leclerc is good, but he's not that much better than everybody else. So I think it's fair to say that Prima Racing had probably found something because we've seen Foucault as well. Foucault a bit of a lunatic, but we have seen him. Be quite quick on occasion when he's not crashing into something. Now, elsewhere in the field, we have two other rookies who've made a big impression. One is Giotto. Giotto is not a rookie. Giotto is last year's rookie. Uh, one is Nick De Vries, who, who is a McLaren driver, absolutely insanely brilliant kartist, who then got lost in Formula Renault and took a long time to come up, um, but has been very good. Uh, a Dutchman unfortunately for him, because obviously Max Verstappen's there. But there's also Alexander Albon, um, who should have won a couple of races this year, but for safety cars, then broke his collarbone, came back, had a shocking weekend at Silverstone because of a stall um, in the race, which meant he couldn't score anything. But he's obviously got considerable talent, and he will, I'm pretty sure, win races this year. He also matched Leclerc um, in GP3. Last year when they were teammates, they were very close. Okay, Leclerc won, but Albon was second to him. Um, and I think that we've got three very good young guys. There are some second-year guys and third-year guys too who are quite good as well. But I think it's, it's exceptional you get three new boys who are all capable of winning races.
1: But where are they going to go, Joe? There's no room for uh, them.
2: It's down to money. Explain. It's down to money because um, – no top team takes a new driver. So you have to go somewhere in between. Now Ocon was has no money at all, but he was fortunate. Mercedes got him a seat at Mana and that got him through into the Force India seat. So they're for, they're paying for that. Verlin seat is being paid for by Mercedes-Benz. And that's just the way it is right now. Now if you're if you're not backed by a manufacturer, um, then you're in trouble. You've got to come along like Palmer, for example. He's driving for Renault. But he had to bring money. So, you know, he's got to deliver. If he doesn't, he'll be booted out.
1: So we've got to then talk about the possible replacements. It's almost like they're auditioning for his replacements in the post-hungry test Joe. And I know we were a bit negative about Kubitz's chances, but this is a legit test. This this looks like a, a thing now.
2: Well, we'll see. I'm not convinced. I'm I'm still I still think it's too much of a fairy tale. And the other thing I think that people forget is that Palmer has a contract. And I have reason to believe that Palmer's contract doesn't have a performance clause in it.
1: So they can't boot him out. But do they have to employ him as a race driver under that contract?
2: Yes, they do. Yeah. So that's um,
1: interesting. Because I mean, I heard the number I heard when he was at Lotus was 8 million. And presumably that was the same going into this season. So he's buying a race seat, he's a customer of Renault. At the moment. Yes, he is. Yeah. But
2: having said that, that's, I mean, that's why he wouldn't have a performance clause in the contract because yeah. customers can say, look, I'm paying this. I don't want to lose the seat because otherwise you'll just take my money and throw me out saying I'm not good enough. So <clears throat> that would be the only possible explanation. Most racing drivers have a performance clause in their contract, but I can imagine that this is why, I mean, I, the, the reason I say this, they will not nobody will tell you this, but I have reason to believe this because otherwise he would have been slung out already. And um, whether that's fair or, or, or not, I don't know. I think but we're all thinking the, it, Joe. Yeah, the fact is that you know, he's been he's been hideously unlucky too. Let's be fair; mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, everything has gone wrong for him. But when the chips are down and he's up against Hulkenberg, it's very rare that he's done anything even close to him, and that is a problem. So.
1: The chat room are throwing your own words back in your face, Joe. They're saying you can always breach a contract. Done deals can be unstitched. But I suppose when you're talking $8 million... Well, you no, know, they can be unstitched, but then you have to pay damages. That's right. So do Renault have the financial willing and clout to do that? No,
2: why Why would you do that? Because this is an interim year anyway. Yep, true, um, true, 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 true. Why would you
1: spend a huge amount of money to get rid of a driver? Um, you're ruining the Robert... <laughs> hype train, Joe. You know that, don't you? You're breaking hearts.
2: I'm not ruining it. I'm just saying I just. <laughs> I have a real problem accepting that Robert Kubica can come back from the injuries he had and the damage that was done to his arm. Now, if he does, I will be delighted and it will be a fairy tale. But I just think that they might just be you know, sort of pulling everyone along and getting loads of free publicity. Well, they are. They are getting that. Um, about you know, a fairy tale. People like fairy tales. It's
1: good, It's good positive stuff. So, Aren't we going to get a direct comparison of his lap times against another driver, though, in this test?
2: Oh, maybe. Maybe. We'll have to see. Because um, you can always say, well, they were using different tyres at different times. There's all kinds of ways of things. I mean, I think the other thing we don't know is that can he get out of a car in the time necessary?
1: Yep. Uh, Luke's saying, these driver issues give weight to the third driver in the team argument uh didn't you write something about that joe about um f2 teams what, running what, a, a works car what is the third uh, what is the third driver S- argument so Sorry. basically the car, the drivers have two cars as normal but then they can then supply a third car to an f2 team that is guaranteed for a young driver something like that
2: uh only if they didn't score points and then What's the that point? wouldn't really be acceptable because they'd always be There'd be some lunatic in the third Ferrari who would knock somebody off and
1: damage the World Championship. So it doesn't really work. This is why we need a missed Apex podcast racing team. Spanners, can you add that as a Patreon goal? Well, I can certainly add it. And uh, when we fail to make the target, run off and have a great family holiday in Lanzarote. Uh, Okay, here's what I want to find out. Have you heard this true? Because it sounds terrible PR for Sebastian Vettel uh, that he is rumoured to have said... If I'm staying at Ferrari, I also want Kimi to be my teammate. And it either means they're super best mates or he knows Kimi's a little bit off pace and he likes that.
2: Uh, I doubt he's been as unsubtle as to say, I want Kimi. That would not be a subtle thing to do. He might say, wouldn't it be better to keep the situation as it is? For consistency, of course. <laughs> For consistency. I mean, it might be nice to have Max
1: Verstappen, but... You know, it might be disruptive to the team. And I'd love it if Max were here. I love Max, but yeah. yes, I can yeah. see that. I, I think that,
2: that racing drivers are intelligent people and they're a little bit more subtle than sort of saying, I don't want this. I mean, Kimi does a, an averagely poor job. And uh, if he gets paid um, a fraction of what Sebastian's getting, which, I mean, let's face it, I'd settle for a fraction of what Kimi gets, let alone what Sebastian gets, but... I'm not a racing driver, so it's relevant. Incidentally, I am in the dark here. Do you want me to turn some light? Yes, on? You've, you've
1: gotten consistently dark. Yes, if you wouldn't mind uh, telling a lot. A and that, that's fine. And let me just tell the chat room right now. I've just had a call come in. Uh, I would love call-ins from you guys generally, perhaps not on the Joe shows, but certainly for race reviews, do feel free to go on Skype and add spanners ready. I'll accept uh, whatever requests come through there. I'll risk the spam for you guys. Um, and basically the procedure is you call on Skype Uh, I'll answer it if I get a chance to answer it. Uh, And if not, (laughs) there's Joe sniffing in the background. um, If I don't get a chance to answer it, I've got the missed call there and I can click add you to group. Uh, Just try to, when you answer the call, be on mute and you know, you can be part of the conversation. I'm quite, quite happy to do that. The other thing we're going to experiment with next week is we're going to have one of the patrons, one of the live chat moderators on the Skype call, reading the chat room comments because On the last race review, there was a comment every three seconds and poor Matt Trumpets is very, very old and his eyesight wouldn't allow him to keep up with the chat room. So we're going to have a a dedicated chat room monitor to make sure you are more part of the show. Hey, Joe, you're back in the light. We can see you. This is amazing. (laughs) Well, it's just called uh,
2: dusk, I think. I I was just sitting in a room and it was gradually getting darker and darker. So there you are.
1: Yes, you've been an absolute trooper uh, coming and doing nearly a full hour. uh, When You're you're obviously a little under the weather, Joe. We want you fighting fit to report from Hungary, but we can't really leave without finding uh, out what you think of the halo. Now, I wasn't on Sunday's show. Chris Stevens ably stepped in for me all all right not as good as me obviously uh, I haven't had a chance to have my two pennies worth D- do you think it's a disaster because all I think is that the reaction first and foremost was ridiculous people saying I'm never going to watch F1 again if they put that bit of metal in that place which is clearly an overreaction we've had ugly cars before
2: yeah but these are very ugly things and and while I mean people always say I'll never watch Formula 1 again and, and to be fair some never do but most of them drift back again because they fundamentally like it. Um and that's that's what happens. But, you know, I my view is that if if we were uh killing drivers on a regular basis because of things flying into the cockpits and hitting them in Formula 1, um then there would be a a case that yes, a halo is a sensible idea. Now, the problem with that is that as long as the possibility exists um, even if it's not necessarily ever happened before. I mean, if if you think of a an accident that would have saved the life of a driver that with a halo, you have to go back to the 70s to find one. And there are there are a couple in the 70s that might have saved the lives of drivers if they'd had a halo at that time. Nothing since then would have helped at all. Now that's not true in Formula Two. Henry Surtees. Would probably have been saved by Halo and Justin Wilson probably as well in indie car racing. So there is a case that you can say, yes, there is a danger there. Now, the problem we have in this modern age is that when there is a liability, legal liability, if you know something is a danger and don't do anything about it, you can then yeah. get charged with negligence and if you get charged with negligence you can be hit for vast damages and that can cause all kinds of damages to the sport so the FIA in saying that we must look at cockpit protection um which they did had to act there was they don't have a choice they created something now if they hadn't done it you could argue they were still negligent if they hadn't brought it to mind so it's a reflection of the world today now i think it's ugly as hell and i hope to goodness that they move swiftly onto something better because if we're stuck with halos for the next 20 years i i you know it just looks like if you look at the front of the car with a halo it looks like chris evans on speed it's ridiculous um and it's just not attractive and it's not in keeping with what formula one should be formula one cars should be sexy.
1: In 2014, and, Joe, those cars, they looked disturbing and criminal. We got used to those by China, though, didn't we?
2: Yeah, but we're supposed to, you know, there was a working group saying, we have to have nicer looking cars, and this year's cars are supposed to be nicer, and then we're going to stick these huge pair of spectacles on the front. You know, it's, it, it just doesn't make any sense. Now, Nikki Lauda, in particular, has said, you know, Formula One drivers... They need to, it needs to be dangerous because people like dangerous things. And that's also true. You can't get away from the fact that the number of spectators goes up when something bad happens. It's just the way of humankind, but it's not something we want. So it's a difficult one. I just hate what it is. I want, I wouldn't mind if we went to jet fighters, uh, yes. jet fighter canopies, that would be fine. But, you know, we 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 tried that, or Spassian Vettel tried the sort of vague half canopy the other day and said it made him feel unwell. And so they just decided, well, we're not ready for that, so we'll have to do the other one. I hope we move swiftly on until we have something sensible, which is sexy, because this is not.
1: Well, well Steve is um, suggesting that the halos we've seen so far are far from our only engineering test items, and we've yet to see anything close to the final product maybe we can wait and see before judging and then decide they've ruined formula one but you know next year no, they'll... it'll
2: look like dame edna average rather than chris Evans, and because it'll just be dressed up in disguise as something else you know so
1: well i think the dame is a lovely lady for the record i'm not
2: suggesting she's not but you know i i think formula one cars should look sexy bridget bardo rather than dame edna average you know
1: uh, joe you've been an absolute trooper for sticking with us i hope you're fighting fit in time for hungary maybe i don't know can you do the whole weekend on just that little bit of rum
2: to keep you going rum i haven't thought of that maybe i'll go and get some now a good plan i don't know we'll see hopefully i'll be cured in the next few days and if not i shall
1: live off lemsip so there we go joe thank you so much for joining me in the shed Uh, you're on twitter at joe saywood um people need to buy your gp magazine by clicking on your face at joe blogs f1.com JoeBlogsF1.com,
2: Grand Prix Plus Magazine. Yep. And if you really want the skinny of what's going on in Formula 1, you can sign up for my newsletter, which is – you also click on my face and just look up
1: business uh, newsletter or insider information or something like that. I'm still waiting for details of our Missed Apex mates rates, Joe
2: yeah you will be
1: for a while uh look uh we hope you can join us as well on sunday in the live chat the chat room is what makes the race reviews come to life so please be there and also remember that wounds heal chicks dig scars and glory last forever this was inside f1 with joe sayward he's here on mist apex